According to the National Survey of Children's Health, nearly 4 in 10 Tennessee children and teens are classified as overweight or obese. So what can we do to help children in the battle against obesity? Laboner Children's Hospital offers contemporary options in their Healthy Lifestyles Clinic, including weight loss surgery. So let's find out more with Dr. Ying Weatherall, Assistant Professor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. This is the Peds Pod by Laboner Children's Hospital, where pediatric experts explore topics affecting children's health, including complex cases and innovations on the healthcare horizon. I'm Bill Klaparov. Dr. Weatherall, thank you for your time. Let's start with this. Can you tell us about the Healthy Lifestyles Clinic, how it got launched, and what is its purpose? Thank you for having me. The Healthy Lifestyle Clinic was launched because there was a need for some sort of treatment of pediatric obesity, which is a major problem, especially kind of in our area and in our neighborhood. So in in West Tennessee, Memphis area. So it was launched to, you know, address this overwhelming need of pediatric obesity and, you know, overweight. Right. So what are the different pieces of the Healthy Lifestyle Clinic? The Healthy Lifestyle Clinic consists of a medical provider, um, which is either an MD or a nurse practitioner. Um, It also has a registered dietitian as part of the clinic, as well as an exercise physiologist, which is a PhD in exercise, as well as um, a physical therapist who runs exercise classes regularly, and then also a um, psychologist who is a PhD in psychology, and then a um, surgeon who is a pediatric bariatric surgeon. So for a child that's obese, is the first stop the Healthy Lifestyle Clinic? Usually, um, for a patient who has obesity or is overweight, their, their primary care doctor is the first stop, just because they're normally seeing their PCP for everyday things and you know annual checkups. So their, their first stop usually is the primary care doctor. And then the primary care doctor, if they feel like there's a major concern, then they refer them directly to the Healthy Lifestyle Clinic. We also get patients from other areas of the hospital. For example, you know, patients with comorbidities like type 2 diabetes, with obstructive sleep apnea, with joint pain, Blount's disease. So we get patients from, you know, a, a variety of places. The patients are either referred directly in from their primary care physicians or from one of the physicians that's treating their comorbidities. Gotcha. So let's switch to bariatric surgery for teens because there is some controversy surrounding this. So when is it appropriate for a teen to undergo weight loss surgery and what other options do you try before surgery? The controversy with adolescent bariatric surgery is, you know, are we doing it too early? Are we stunting the patient's growth by having them lose a lot of weight? Um, And then, you know, are we giving them enough time to try to do the non-operative alternatives, which is diet, exercise, and what we call lifestyle modifications. So that's the controversy around this topic of adolescent bariatric surgery, is if we're doing it too early and we're not giving them enough time to, you know, shed the weight non-surgically. Okay, that makes sense. So then what are the requirements for a teen to qualify for bariatric surgery? So for a teen to qualify for bariatric surgery, we ask them to be um, of a certain BMI. So it's either a BMI of 35 and over with a major comorbidity, which we classify as type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, 
um, you know, really severe hypertension, pseudotumor cerebri. These are all diseases that are associated and as a result of morbid obesity. Um, or the other alternative is that if their BMI is over 40, they don't need any comorbidities. It's just straight up BMI of over 40. In addition to the BMI, we want them to be psychologically mature or have a family member that can take care of them and just have everybody be understanding that this is not just a surgery, but it's a whole lifestyle change and that they have to you know, be very invested on all aspects of the Healthy Lifestyle Clinic or any weight management um, program and not just a surgical aspect. Um, and then they also have to be physiologically done growing, which means that they're, they're mature, that they're no longer growing in height because we don't want to blunt their height growth as part of the surgery. So, Dr. Weatherall, this sounds like it's mainly for kids in their upper teens. Is that right? Right. So technically for girls, they're usually done growing, you know, as just a, a group, they're usually done growing around 14 and for boys around 15. So we start talking to them around that age, around the 14 to 15 age, knowing that this process takes about six months to a year so that they won't get surgery right when we talk to them. They'll get surgery later on. However, before we actually do surgery, they all get a bone age to make sure that their bones are fused and they're done growing. So usually the age is around 14 to 15. That's when we start talking to them about adolescent bariatric surgery. Okay, I understand. So there are a lot of requirements to hit before bariatric weight loss surgery for a teenager. So what types of bariatric surgery do you perform and how does it work to promote weight loss? So at Lebonner, we do um, laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomies, which is the most common type of bariatric surgery performed in the United States. This is for adults and for adolescents. Um, about 60 to 65% of bariatric surgery done are sleeve gastrectomies. And what that is, is essentially we make the stomach about a tenth of the size by removing the majority of the stomach with a stapling device. So the stomach basically looks like a sleeve, you know, and that's why it's called a sleeve gastrectomy. Right. And what are the outcomes then? And what have you seen from bariatric surgery in teens? So the outcomes, um, you know, the adult adult population have a lot of long-term studies. And then in the teen population, there is a three-year outcome study from the teen labs group, which is the major group um, that have done a good amount of adolescent bariatric surgery. And they have three-year follow-up. And the, and the, the really the long-term follow-up and outcome is that they t will lose about 30% of their starting body weight. So for a patient who started at 300 pounds, they'll lose 100 pounds. Some patients lose more, some patients lose less, but as an average, they should lose a third of their starting body weight as, you know, to be considered a success, you know, for the bariatric surgery to be considered a success. So you were just mentioning follow-up. What kind of research has been conducted on teen bariatric surgery? So um, the Teen Labs group, um, Teen Labs stands for Teen-Labs which is Longitudinal Assessment of Bariatric Surgery, which actually is an adult consortium. The teen labs are, mo are modeled after the adult setup, and they are five institutions um, that started doing adolescent bariatric surgery fairly early. Um, they started collecting data, you know, like in 2012. And those five institutions have studied various aspects of adolescent bariatric surgery, starting from safety. So they started with 30-day perioperative safety, um, and then they went into... Um, 
you know, the actual amount of weight lost. And that paper is a three-year follow-up, and that's published in New England Journal of Medicine, which, you know, documents about a third of weight loss. They've also looked at, um, you know, remission of comorbidities like type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, hypertension, kidney function, um, and, you know, a lot of quality of life factors they've looked at. And um, also, you know, joint pain, musculoskeletal pain, cardiac function. So there's, you know, all of these comorbidities that are associated with morbid obesity, they've studied these comorbidities independently. So the Teen Labs group have published about, you know, like 20 papers um, in relation to their their cohort of patients. They have about 242 patients that they're following longitudinally. So do we have any results yet of the consequences of teen bariatric surgery? So the consequences are, um, the, the one bad thing about um, teen bariatric surgery that we have to be aware of and we have to try to avoid is nutritional deficiencies. So, um, you know, after bariatric surgery, the amount of food allowed is very, very small because of their weight loss and their just lack of appetite, which happens after a sleep gastrectomy. So patients don't like to eat, but you have to remind them to take vitamins. And this is the same for adults. Everybody has to take vitamins. But for the kids, you know, we found that there is a, um, uh, a significant increase in iron deficiency as well as some other vitamins, which we know this. So, you know, we, we definitely have that as part of the preoperative education for all of the patients as well is that they have to take vitamins after surgery to try to avoid this. But otherwise, um, there's really not been any, like, uh, any ter- bad or you know, adverse outcomes associated with bariatric surgery in adolescents that's been published or that we found. So you were talking about vitamins after surgery. What is the follow-up process post-bariatric surgery? After bariatric surgery, we see the patients at um, one week to make sure that they're not dehydrated at three weeks and then seven weeks just regularly every month to advance their diet stages. And then we see them every three months for the first two years to check their vitamin levels and make sure that they're not deficient. And then also to monitor their exercise and also their weight loss. And then after that, we see them annually. Gotcha. So if you could wrap this up for us, Dr. Weatherall, what is the future of bariatric surgery at Labonner? I hope um, and I envision that we will continue to do more um, sleep gastrectomies. In the first year, we did 10. In the second year, we're looking at 15. And I hope to do about 25 to 30 every year and then really to become accredited with the MBSAQIP, which is the accrediting body for bariatric centers, and then hopefully to become a regional center and really also address things like you know disparities and access to surgery for our patient population as well as monitoring their health and, you know, just promoting their weight loss and growth as our center grows. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up, Dr. Weatherall. Thank you for your time. To learn more about Labonner, visit labonner.org. That's labonner.org. And if you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to the Peds Pod and Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also check out labonner.org slash podcast to view our full podcast library. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels. This is the Peds Pod by Labonner Children's Hospital. I'm Bill Klaparoff. Thanks for listening.